Hey everyone, welcome back to the Blockchain Podcast. Today is January 18th, 2019. And before we get started, we'll do a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, I had been planning to actually make videos and do th- some things on the Blockchain YouTube channel, but again, time is just always uh, difficult to come by. So instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to simply re-upload these podcasts uh, to YouTube as well. So if you want to go there and it's easier to listen to things um, through YouTube, you can go there and subscribe to the channel, or you can continue listening to these on SoundCloud or Apple uh, iTunes through the uh, podcast app or... Um, just simply on the website. So you can go to blockchain.co and listen to them there. So there's websites, um, SoundCloud, YouTube, or uh, I think I said something else. Uh, not sure. But there's all those places that you can actually listen to this. So with that said, a little bit of housekeeping and also a little bit of uh, forgiveness needed that uh, since I haven't um, uploaded as much as, I, as I'd like to, which is always the case. But there's some interesting things going on. Right now, and I kind of wanted to make a 2019 sort of prediction outlook video, uh, just kind of to keep myself honest about what happens down uh, the road, but also just kind of discuss what I think, discuss where I think things are going, and then we can look back at this and say uh, I was uh, right or wrong or off and why I thought that I thought and maybe be able to learn something from it as well. So if you're listening to this uh, further into 2019, uh, maybe it'll be interesting to see how wrong I am or how close things are or how right I am, or it'll just be kind of informative for people who are listening closer to the actual post date, which... Obviously, that's uh, the intention here. So uh, the markets, as far as price point goes, are, are not terribly interesting. You know, we uh, are at about 3,600-ish, I think, today. Thereabouts, I could be off by a couple hundred points. Um, for Bitcoin, that's kind of what I use as my barometer for the overall market since uh, it seems uh, most uh, other altcoins and so forth and tokens seem to be uh, correlated with uh, Bitcoin. So I look at that price level and I'll kind of use that. And you've, if you've been listening to the podcast, you'll know that I reference that price point as uh, the kind of uh, barometer. So with that said, what is my outlook for Bitcoin specifically? And Bitcoin's kind of in this interesting state where uh, lightning is what everyone's looking towards. Uh, there's been a lot of increase in the number of lightning nodes, number of lightning transactions, but for the general public and you know, the lay person especially, or even just the person that's into Bitcoin or other cryptos uh, even as well, uh, not a lot of people are using Lightning. Uh, it's still in potentially beta. I'm not sure. It's I mean, it's, it's deployed in different forms, different Lightning uh, uh, software packages, if you will. And there's some wallets that uh, allow for it, uh, especially, you know, in kind of the uh, Android world for mobile as well. I don't think Apple has any Lightning wallets. I could be wrong, but I also haven't been looking too diligently either. Uh, not too many applications are, you know, using Lightning, but there it's, it's growing. And one could argue, oh, there's a whole bunch, you know, that it's growing, but it's it's certainly not mainstream anywhere near um, what the kind of the uh, uh, main net for Bitcoin is, or the main protocol, or the um, on-chain stuff. So that doesn't mean that uh, Lightning's not important. Doesn't mean that it's not going to be something in the future and continue to grow. It has certainly grown since last year. You can look online for um, different graphs uh, of the Lightning uh, network from last year and to where it is now. And maybe I'll include some of those in the links on the website uh, or in the YouTube uh, uh, description and the SoundCloud description. I'll include some information. It'll probably just direct to the webpage 
where you can kind of look at any figures and uh, that are related to this podcast. But it's grown tremendously. But it's still more of, in my opinion, an experimental network. Um, it's still in the phase of uh, uh, development, of adoption, of awareness. And it's a somewhat complex tool to c- just kind of use right out of the box. But I do think this year there's going to be more and more growth. And I think that is an interesting direction for Bitcoin long term. Uh, there are some folks, you know, if you look at the latest news, who are still worried about um, uh, the scalability of Bitcoin because SegWit essentially enables um, a lot of people have switched over to SegWit sort of wallets and that enables four megabyte blocks or thereabouts. And so the uh, miners get to create larger blocks, which has increased the size of the blockchain, I think somewhere around uh, 200 gigabytes. And for the people who people, when they hear that, they say, you know, what's 200 gigabytes? That's not too big of a deal. Um, there's uh, how do I put this? The the nature of blockchains and the nature of kind of the digital or I'm sorry, the Bitcoin blockchain is that it's a very inefficient mechanism. And so when you grow from one megabyte to four megabytes, um, you have these problems where, you know, each blocks four megabytes. It occurs every 10 minutes and it's going, you know, faster and faster and faster. It's kind of this quadratic increase in, uh, in growth of the blockchain versus the one megabyte, which is the non segment stuff. Um, it, it grows at one megabyte, which is about, you know, uh, quadratically slower, if you will, or it'll grow quadratically faster um, uh, with the four. So there, there is some concern that it's growing too fast, given the relative uh, hardware um, rate of technology advancement, which some estimates um, is somewhere around 17, 20 ish percentage. So it's in the technical details. And I don't want to bore you too much, but there are concerns that... Uh, Bitcoin is is going to eventually become more centralized because the requirements for hosting a node are onerous. And, you know, people looking at it today are like, no, it's not. It's really not onerous. And um, there's people who have stopped running nodes. You know, there are a lot more people running nodes when the blockchain was under 100, meg- 100 gigabytes and now it's uh, around 200 gigabytes. I believe Ethereum somewhere over a terabyte or thereabouts or close to a terabyte. And, and that has more issues because of just all the things that it has to do. Uh, all the all the uh, code that it needs to run as you're syncing it and yada yada yada. But again, I won't bore you too much about the technical details. But uh, what I will say about Bitcoin is technologically, um, those things are still moving on. There's some other things um, uh, with side chains uh, uh, as well. But I think in general, um, where Bitcoin is as far as price at 3,600 ish, and you know it kind of dropped from 6,000 to the 3,000 low 3,000s in the latter part of 2018 and it kind of then bounced up a little bit to around 4,000 ish and now it's come back down to kind of cut to the chase. I'm not convinced that Bitcoin has reached its bottom. It very well could have been in the low 3000s, but I'm still I'm still looking at somewhere on the order of, you know, 1500 ish where I look at that um, and I say that's, you know, that's pretty low for what this thing is barring um, you know, some significant technical issues or some other things that are highlighted or massive issues in the greater macro economy, you know, say we have some sort of financial issues, um, then you may see it go down there. And I, and I wouldn't necessarily think it's too interesting because we're in kind of a fire sale sort of mode. I'd, I'd be looking at it closely at the 1500, 2000 mark. Um, but, you know, that's a place to evaluate where I think is a very strong potential. Um, well, I think it's a strong potential that we reach somewhere around the 2,500 to 3,000. And that's another point where I'd kind of take a look at it and say, you know, where are we at? 
you know, is the bottom falling out again. So what happened with it when it was around 6,000 was, you know, it kind of hung out there and it was really low volatility for quite some time. And then finally, you know, people threw in the towel and started, you know, dumping it and uh, it, it came down the, you know, elevator down to somewhere in the 3000s. So that could very well happen again. And that could bring it down to that 1500, 2000 mark that I'm talking about, where the volatility is a little bit lower right now. You know, people may lose interest and it could drop. And this is also on the back of uh, the, the fall from 6,000 to 3,000 ish is on the back of a lot of distress in the crypto market in general, which I've talked about in my previous podcast. And a lot of those things have been coming to fruition, especially with Bitmain laying off folks and people claiming that, uh, you know, on the, they're on the verge of bankruptcy and, and really scaling back their operations. Uh, there was Steam, uh, Steam at scaling back their operation, Consensus. Yeah, just all sorts of folks. And, and that's a big uh, trend. And Bitmain was one of the other ones that I was looking to kind of start doing that. And that's happened. Um, I'm still looking for Coinbase and some of these other um, exchanges to start uh, saying, you know, they're under stress. And I don't know if that'll happen anytime soon. I feel like it, it, that if it will, uh, it's going to be soon within the next month or two. And that can trigger um, some additional selling. So I think a portion of the selling before that, that big downtrend was people having to liquidate, uh, whether it's Ethereum, whether it's Bitcoin, whether these, you know, all these other assets, you have to keep in mind that a lot of these crypto companies, whether they're hardware manufacturers or service providers, um, I mean, even uh, Shapeshift had to lay off quite a few folks uh, lately. Um, those people hold a lot of assets in cryptocurrency. And when they're under distress or when they're, you know, their cash flow is not healthy, um, they're going to go to their balance sheet and those balance sheets are not healthy because of the price decline across the board. You know, those assets, a lot of them have decreased 90% um, since last year. And so that causes distress, that causes more pressure, that causes potential selling. And so I do think we've gone through that first wave in this uh, in the last quarter of 2018. And so my outlook for 2019 is something more tempered. Um, but you could see, you know, another shoe drop over the next few months if it's going to happen. If not, um, I, I think we could easily see uh, the price kind of move sideways uh, for quite some time. I think some of the altcoins are oversold. You know, I've heard other people share that same that same uh, sentiment. However, I think it's tricky with altcoins because I think a lot of them are not worth much. And so it's going to be difficult to discern which ones are going to actually survive. And a lot of people say, yeah, you know, if they have a team and they have people contributing and they have some sort of organization, organization they're going to survive. Um, it, and that's fine, but they may survive at much lower levels. Um, they may not be that relevant overall. Their value may still be too high because uh, there are tons of currencies, there are tons of application projects, there are tons of dApps and so forth and so on and a lot of these dApps are just recreating what already exists and do people really need that or want that and so at the protocol level you know I think there's it's a safer play if you will when you're talking about say Bitcoin or Ethereum or things that are platforms or, or potentially broad-based currencies versus some token you know that uh, is part of some sort of application that really is a utility token but not and just really a way to f raise money and it becomes tricky. So uh, I guess the summary there is I think Bitcoin probably moves sideways. 
uh, could come down to about uh, 2,500 or 1,500 to 2,000 mark in, in a kind of the next leg down situation. If that does happen, I'd be seriously looking at that as, a, as an opportunity, you know, taking in all the other information that comes about. For projects like Ethereum, um, will they finally move to proof of stake? Will they finally deploy, you know, uh, some of these forks that they have found bugs in and so forth? Um, I don't know. You know, Ethereum, I, I, I continue to say it on this podcast. I just, my gut and my understanding of the technology and, and what they need to do, it's just uh, I don't feel confident in the project. Um, and, you know, that's nothing against, you know, people who feel very strongly about it, but I just don't see the same sort of fervor and application that was with the ICO craze. So Ethereum has grown on the backs of on the back of the ICO craze last year. That's, I want to say, essentially gone. And there's also lots of other options. For example, like EOS, if people are building on EOS, they'll probably deploy, well, they will fundraise or deploy on that chain. And I presume that people doing it on Tron or Neo or these others, they would do the same. And so there's this, you know, stratification of this, uh, these smart contract sort of platforms. And uh, a lot of other ones are, you know, making names for themselves, Cardano, you know, Neo, um, EOS, Tron, et cetera, et cetera. As far as, say, Bitcoin Cash or Bitcoin Cash SV, I think they lost a lot of favorability due to the hard fork sort of war, if you will, the Bitcoin SV, Bitcoin Cash uh, war, hash war uh, that happened a handful of uh, weeks ago. And so that, I think, caused a lot of people to lose a bit of confidence in those two projects. I I don't see how it couldn't. It definitely showed that... uh, they're both vulnerable to future forking if there's anything contentious. And then it also just kind of displayed some of the, you know, just the dirty side of um, uh, those two coins and how the stakeholders are, you know, have a lot of influence and that people can't trust each other and things like that. And so I think those two, I think the case for Bitcoin Cash is is potentially still there with the bigger blocks and potentially with Bitcoin SV. I don't know a ton about the, uh, I haven't studied a ton about their doctrine but, you know, it's kind of uh, historically been Bitcoin big block or Bitcoin cash big blocks versus Bitcoin uh, core and uh, Lightning Network and Segwit and so forth. And I think that that can still play out over time. But I do think that the, the Bitcoin cash brand has been hurt quite a bit by that the latest hash war. And then uh, some aspects of checkpointing and other things that were uh, implemented to defend against uh uh, potential attacks by the SV folks, so I don't know. I don't know where that'll play out. I, it, I definitely am not more confident in the projects than I was in 2018. I'm, I'm less confident. Uh, and then there's also Litecoin, which is just kind of hanging out. And I think in certain parts of the world, I, I, th- I think especially Asia, there might be more interest in Litecoin than there is in the U.S. As Litecoin just kind of seems like a follower coin to Bitcoin, um, which provides maybe some value, but I don't think it's a ton of value, and I don't think it'll necessarily be a ton of value going forward forward especially if there's not super contentious sort of you know hard or soft work sort of aspects that uh, produce significant gains and you know charlie doesn't seem to be as active on twitter and other uh, forums he's sold all of his litecoin and so you know i don't know how that project will end up faring and since it's such a follower project it's just kind of copies whatever bitcoin does anyway so don't don't have too much uh, bullish feelings about litecoin I do think EOS, and, and you know, I could be completely wrong on this. I think EOS is interesting. I think people can argue that it's, you know, um, it's not the right uh, sort of decentralized setup with delegated proof of stake and, and you know, voter. I, I won't call it voter fraud, but uh, people 
you know, buying votes. So there's 21 block producers and those positions are voted in by people who own EOS. And so they stake that and they vote. And so obviously if someone's richer or has more EOS, then they can uh, elect themselves or elect people that they want to be in there. And then people who are block producers can, you know, um, uh, pool together, you know, behind the scenes and say, if you vote for me, I'll vote for you. And, and so there's this collusion going on. I think that's well known. And so there's some issues with some of the governance protocol that people are debating there. And then there were, have also been some issues with the just the profitability of these nodes because the nodes that they run uh, are pretty intensive. These are not... Uh, or the block producers are it requires beefy hardware it requires backups it requires these redundancies and you know legal aspects i'm sure and, and and staff and so they're they're pretty expensive to run and so the the block rewards are paid out in eos and right now the block or the price of eos is 250 a coin and so that does put strain on the profitability of these block producers that rely solely on you know the block rewards um, as their source of income and rev, uh, uh, the source of income and uh, to sustain the operations, but then also to invest in projects that they're a part of. So that's a concern. I think you know the EOS price has more or less bottomed uh, for the time being. But if Bitcoin, say for example, goes down to the fifteen hundred to two thousand mark, like I had mentioned, you can easily see EOS cut in half or more. Uh, just in a correlated form, you know, kind of a linear sort of pattern. So that would produce significant, that would put significant strain on block producers. You know, I think many of them, uh, I should say some of them will have to shut down and that could provide um, or present some issues. Uh, again, not too sure how that would work out. You might have contending chains be deployed with some different setups to uh, alleviate that. You might have some, you know, murmurs about changing the block reward uh, and so some have also mentioned that as it is now and there are some proposals or at least some items around that they have their new referen re referendum system for voting on different things so there, there are some interesting things going on again I'm not uh, uh, sold necessarily on the structure of the of the coin I think it's still definitely experimental and I think the platform's experimental but it's something to, uh, worth watching in my opinion the other ones kind of going down the list, Stellar, um, like uh, Tron, uh, Cardano, IOTA, Monero. I think Monero and Dash are, are pretty straightforward, and even Zcash that's a little bit further down the list is their privacy coins. I think where they may run into, potentially, and not, not, not for sure, but with the privacy coins, more Monero and Zcash, and maybe even Horizon or Zencash, formerly Zencash, is this new Mimble, uh, Wimble coin, which is Grincoin. And I'll talk a little bit about that later or maybe in a different video given the time that we're at. But that's that's all the uh, rage right now, if you will, if you can call it that, is the Grincoin. So if you haven't heard of it, check it out. But it's it's uh, you know uh, based on the Mimble Wimble, and it's basically a privacy coin. There are some aspects where you know you have to be active to kind of transact. It doesn't have addresses. It's, it's a little complicated to understand from someone who's... Uh, used to kind of the Bitcoin or other traditional cryptocurrency sort of mechanisms, but it has very strong privacy features and very strong scalability features and is in has, you know, some interesting aspects with their mining, even though ASICs are already being produced for it. So it's it's an interesting coin, I will say, and it's also related to Beam, which is also a Mimble Wimble coin. But um, I won't go too much detail into that, maybe in, a, in another podcast, maybe later this week or next. Um, but then there's, you know, the other coins Tron has been, you know, holding well on price. It hasn't really gone down as much as I think it should relative to the other coins. 
Um, and there's Cardano, and they're still work trucking along on Cardano or ADA, uh, which is a ticker with uh, uh, Hoskinson's, I think is his name. I, I always forget. I'm not, not too good with names, but he's he's actually a sharp guy. You know, he might be a little emotional about attacks on Twitter and people not putting him in the <laughs> in the in their news articles and such. But he's actually a, a smart guy. Um, if you find some of his videos on YouTube, um, Char- it's Charles Hoskis- Hoskinson or just the Cardano founder, if you will. He is he is a pretty intelligent guy. They're, you know, behind, quote-unquote, by a lot of people's standards for deployment of different aspects of their pro- pro- product, but, you know, they're going with formal methods and a really scientific approach, and so it's, it's a slower process, but, again, smart guy. I, I do have respect for him. Uh, then there's Tron. Um, I can't remember the uh, founder of that, but he, can't, he comes across as just like an asshole. Um, just to be perfectly frank, but uh, there is some activity going on there. There are some things going on with gaming, you know, and with a lot of these dApps, it's like gambling's like the biggest, you know, app for them, which there's only so much gambling you can do, and you don't only need all these blockchains for it. Even EOS has a lot of gambling games. Nothing wrong with that. It's just, you know, very redundant and um, uh, not what I would call a killer app or, or something to, you know, write home about. But, you know, Tron's been uh, holding its its price pretty well. It doesn't mean it won't come down. It doesn't mean it's not overhyped. Another one has been Stellar that, uh, you know, again, relative to the rest of the market has held uh, relatively well uh, its price. But, again, to me, that just means that they're a little bit delayed in their um, uh, price reduction uh, if, if, like I said, the, the broader market takes another takes another step down. So those are kind of my thoughts there. I don't have too many thoughts about NEO and these others. I think, again, it's the same story, different coin, same shit, different coin, right? Um, Ethereum Classic has uh, had some interesting developments lately. Um, I haven't followed its price too closely, but I'm sure that the recent 51% attacks on it, or maybe some say that it wasn't an attack, it was a, um, a deep reorg because someone spun up their miners but it, uh, more or less a 51 percent attack which i think a lot of people don't fully understand what a 51 percent attack is i mean you don't produce new coins and you don't steal coins really it's for the most part it's really a a, a bank heist um on the exchanges so if the ex- if you you know send money to an exchange you you know sell it or you get money or different coins out or whatever um and then you reorg the chain or whatever um then you know, you can more or less say that didn't happen or they, they didn't move and then, but you already got your uh, trade in and you already got your other coins out and say Monero or something. And, and so you're basically, you know, and that's a very, very basic explanation of what's going on. I'm sure someone else could do a much better job, but more or less, you know, it's, it's basically a trick to, you know, trick, uh, trick an exchange into accepting a transaction as, you know, fully valid when in fact there's some other mining going on elsewhere that reorgs um, the chain and then you know kind of nullifies those transactions and then you've already run away with the money. So definitely not good. But I also don't see how Ethereum Classic would really get around it because uh, obviously, well, not maybe not obvious for everyone, but relative price relative to or a coin's price, so Ethereum Classic's price relative to other um, coins that share the same hashing algorithm like normal Ethereum that's important that that relative and and really because they're you know uh, quite a bit uh, gpu mine it's like any gpu mineable or any et hash sort of uh mineable coin they're all in competition uh, with each other for security of the blockchain i get won't get too deep into this but um and there might be an article on the website uh, about this a little bit but 
more or less, if Ethereum Classic is less valued than normal Ethereum, then more people are going to be mining uh, the normal Ethereum coin, again, considering block reward size and all this other stuff. Um, and so you can have less hash power with Ethereum Classic, you have more with Ethereum and potentially other hash coins. And then it's possible for other people to, you know, you know, the Ethereum folks to attack Ethereum Classic, or it's possible for even someone to come up with a new miner and attack Ethereum Classic just because it has too too low of hash power. Or you can even mine renting power or mine uh, hashing power from NiceHash and attack. And I think there's even a tool on their site that um, allows you to figure out how much it would cost per an hour to attack different coins, which is convenient. So they had that fiasco. Um, that that is something of concern because I don't see it surpassing. Um, uh, Ethereum anytime soon in market cap and so or value and so I don't see miners securing it more and I see it still susceptible and I haven't seen anything from the community um, mentioning how they might mitigate those attacks uh, like Horizon did they implemented some code to try and mitigate the uh, the uh, the interest in 51% attacking them because they're mining they're, they're not the dominant with Equihash uh, I think Zcash is so that was a little bit of a tangent, but those are kind of the coins. I, I don't see too many crazy things going on in 2019. I know that sounds unfortunately boring, but it's it's going to be a little bit more of the same, a little bit more building. I, I think a little bit more downward if I had to if I had to guess, and then kind of move sideways and see who's actually growing. Say as we go into the latter half of 2019 and into 2020, um, and see how just you know projects have come out and if there's any more depth if there's any more development that's significant if there's any more mainstream adoption if some etfs and other things get uh, approved but again i think 2019 is probably a boring year um, i think it's probably more interesting in other markets um, i think the most interesting thing going on to kind of get a little away from crypto is actually the fed and the interest rates hikes interest rate hikes I think those are important. I think the Brexit situation is important. I think those things are going on. But uh, uh, but but in crypto specifically, I think we're in kind of that lull for a little bit until something more interesting comes along. Uh, so with that said, I think the only other things that I may talk about in the, in the next one is uh, uh, the or the next podcast would be this, uh, mining, uh, my mining outlook, uh, what I think about uh, Grincoin, and Mimble Wimble coins and what that looks like doing a little bit of a deeper dive um, looking at just kind of current news and then also like I said in some of my other podcasts it, it would be interesting to discuss kind of the broader markets uh, US equities real estate some of these other things I think the current real estate market across the country it's it, everyone's talking about cooling down uh, depending on interest rates and other things I think I think we may have something interesting ahead just as far as prices moving downward but the biggest the biggest story i think overall is what the fed's going to do with interest rates and the their quantitative tightening and reduce and lower uh um, reducing their balance sheets which could have actually some sort of impact on um, cryptocurrencies in the future uh but not necessarily for re reducing their balance sheet but because of the the u.s debt uh, uh as it's growing, it's growing significantly. And, you know, people always say that, but it is growing significantly in an environment where interest rates are rising and where I think inflation is going to pick up. So there may be actually an interesting uh, broader market macro play as it relates to cryptocurrencies over the next few years. I do think if the Fed doesn't 
continue hiking rates or at least hold them and potentially do the two hikes this year, I think you're going to see a problem with inflation um, in the latter half in 2019 into 2020 and especially in the 2021. So that's that's a conversation for a different podcast. Um, as I always say, if you like these, you know, listen to them, share them. Um, obviously, you're listening to them if, they're, if you're at this point. Like them, share them, um, subscribe on YouTube, uh, you know, follow on SoundCloud, you know, make sure if you have an iPhone or whatever, you uh, download the podcast. And I'll keep making them if there's more engagement, more people interested. So uh, that would be great. And then check out the website at blockchain.co. And I update it periodically here for, here and there, but the podcasts are always posted there, um, if nothing else. And maybe I will at some day, some point, get some time to write some just articles to kind of outline, outline things in more detail. So with that, I'll see you next time on the Blockchain Podcast.